ghost ghouls and things that go bump in the night. I hope you had a great week. What's really been on my mind this week is ghosts. Have you ever seen one? (laughs) I have, but that's a story for another time. As for right now, why don't you relax, take a seat, and hang on for the wild ride that is Quiet Island. It's been five years, Neil, and it still hurts to think about now just as much as when he first died. Marianne said in a croaky, sorrowful voice. Look, even though today is still difficult, you've moved forward in more ways than you can probably realize, and you know that's what your brother would want for you. Marianne sighed. I could tell she was trying to repress an oncoming sob. Franco is probably watching over you, so proud of everything you've done. He'll always be with you in some way. Marianne was getting choked up again, and I could tell she didn't want to talk anymore. She always struggled on the anniversary of her brother's death, mainly because she felt responsible. Although he disappeared, Marianne and her family declared him as dead. Since it was the last time any of us ever saw him alive, saying he was dead became a form of closure for the family. Marianne felt responsible because they'd had what she had always described as the worst argument of her life that prompted her brother to storm out of the house on that fateful evening. He drove off, and that was the last anyone ever saw or heard from him. To help herself cope, Marianne started traveling out of town on the anniversary of her brother's disappearance. Having dated her for over four years now, I learned she needed her space around this time of year. I will acknowledge it gave me some time to myself, which I usually spent out on the water. During our cell phone conversation, I was sitting on my kayak out in the middle of the bay. On this particular day, I decided to fish the far side of the bay, a section I'd never previously tried. The area was more secluded than where I usually fished. There were some good-sized islands scattered off the shore and some really scenic views of the city. It was dusk by the time I hung up with Marianne and started reeling in my line, deciding to swap out the bait I'd had with a lure since I hadn't gotten a nibble all afternoon. While the area was really nice, I was disappointed with the fishing, but shuddered at the thought of getting skunked. I knew my time was running out, and I scrambled to swap the hook with a dollar-sized silver spoon lure that was a personal favorite of mine. As I was making the final touches weaving the line together, something made me turn to my left. All I remember was seeing the giant wall of water rush towards my kayak, and I had no time to react before I was swept under. I'm not sure if the swirling waves prevented me from surfacing, or if my head struck something while I was tumbling around, but I did black out and lose consciousness. When I finally awoke, 
The first thing I heard were the sounds of crashing waves. Part of me was cold, frigid and soaking wet, while my entire back was baking in the scorching sun. Upon opening my eyes, I first saw light brownish beige sand get swept away by a foamy ocean wave. I quickly remembered being on the kayak and realized I was lying on a beach. As I slowly lifted myself out of the sand, I inspected my surroundings. When my vision settled, I noticed pieces of my fishing gear scattered along the shoreline, but my kayak was nowhere in sight. Turning towards the ocean, and still able to make out the city skyline in the distance, I concluded that I must have washed up on one of the islands in the bay. This provided me with a sense of comfort, since I wasn't stranded in the middle of the ocean, miles away from civilization. Looks like you could use a hand, a female voice in a subtle but distinct East European accent uttered while I was trying to get to my feet. Gasping, I tripped and collapsed back onto the ground as I quickly twirled to face the direction of whomever was speaking to me. My eyes settled on a beautiful woman with long, wavy black hair, large green eyes, wearing a short red dress. She appeared amused at my stumbling and extended her hand to assist me, which I ignored out of embarrassment. How long have you been standing there for? I blurted out as I hastily stood back up and wiped off my clothes. Where am I? Where are we right now? The woman chuckled. You're going to be okay, but you pretty much spent the night out here, she answered nonchalantly. I watched over you the whole time, though, so you were safe one way or another. Pausing, my eyes narrowed when she basically said I spent the night on this beach, totally unconscious. I was grateful it was the middle of summer, because I probably would have succumbed to hypothermia if it were any other time of the year. My name is Melinda, the woman said, her accent becoming more noticeable as our conversation continued. You're Neil, right? How do you know my name? I quickly replied in a snarky, uneasy tone. Smiling, Melinda pointed at a spot on the ground a few feet from where I stood. It was my wallet which was partially buried in the sand. Without saying anything to her, I warily retrieved it and checked the contents inside. Sighing loudly upon realizing the salt water and sand irredeemably damaged the leather and many of my credit cards and cash were gone. Fortunately, my driver's license was still intact. Look, do you have a cell phone or know where I can get any help? I'm sure people realize I never came back yesterday and are probably worried sick, I said firmly, turning back to Melinda. Come with me, she said smiling as she lightly grabbed my hand and started guiding me towards the tree lines that I had just noticed for the first time. You'll be leaving here soon, but there's someone here you have to meet first. Still a little dazed and drained of energy, I tentatively followed Melinda up the beach and into the forest. Initially, we walked in silence, which was when I noticed other people scattered about the beach and even lurking within the rows of forest trees. Many appeared to be wandering aimlessly or standing completely still. 
some looking like they were in deep trances, while others were watching Melinda and I closely with mixed expressions of eagerness, envy, or sorrow. What caught my eye was how their appearances varied, with some dressed in rags, while others more formal attire like dresses or suits. Um, you didn't answer my question before, I quickly uttered after about four or five minutes following Melinda down the narrow trail. What is this place, and who are all these people? Melinda stepped slowed until she was walking parallel to me. Her smile shrunk and she leaned in, like she didn't want anyone to hear what she was about to say. You're on Quiet Island, Melinda said, and this is where we all live now. Melinda's steps were reduced to a mere shuffle. I stared in bewilderment, unsure how to respond. I don't follow, I said slowly, canting my head. So there's a town or community you all live in or something? We're not here by choice, Melinda said in a mournful tone. What do you mean? I asked sharply, stopping dead in my tracks. Before she could respond, I picked up on the sound of slow, light footsteps. Melinda's eyes looked behind me and widened as her smile slowly returned. I quickly spun 180 degrees to see a small old man with a slightly hunched back hobbling towards us with the assistance of a thin wooden cane. He wore a light blue plaid shirt with a brown and green vest tucked into a pair of light brown pants. He had a round, turnip-shaped face that was covered in saggy, blotchy wrinkles and didn't have a single hair on his head. He had two large, shrunken blue eyes and a small nose that looked like it could barely support his large, black-framed glasses. Oh, Pietro, you made your way all the way here just to see Neil? Melinda asked in a sweet, sympathetic voice as she walked over and gave the old man a light, careful hug. I could have told him for you. I told you I'd promised. I stood there confused as the old man smiled widely, quickly diverting his attention to me. Neil, this is Patricio de Fasal. He lives next to me, Melinda said quickly. He's your neighbor? I asked as I nodded at the old man. Pietro took a few wobbly steps towards me, his smile brimming with excitement. My, a cousin, he, he live in, a Virginia, er, Louisa, Virginia, his name, Alberto Montanello, can, uh, you tell him I'm here? He spoke in a thick Italian accent that was difficult to understand at first. If he knows, he will come to get me. I paused for a few seconds before slowly nodding and promising I would get the message to his cousin. The old man wore the most joyous, grateful smile I have ever seen before Melinda grabbed my arm and hurried me away. Some of the others noticed and are beginning to come over towards us, Melinda whispered as we were a good distance away. You could have spent the whole day taking requests like that. Pietro is a really sweet man so I promised I would ask you for him. I said nothing and continued following Melinda.
The trail started going up an incline and seemed like it was leading up to the ridge line. I was completely perplexed by the entire situation. What this place was and why these people were here. I was admittedly afraid to ask, but my curiosity got the best of me. So why are we here against our will? I asked shakily, a knot forming in my stomach as I dreaded Melinda's answer. Why can't we just leave? She chuckled and turned to flash me a smirk-like grin before replying. Remember, you get to leave. I slowed my steps and fixed my stare on Melinda. Why can't you come with me? Melinda hesitated and released a slow, light sigh. I just can't. That doesn't make any sense, what you're saying. I replied in an anxious but frustrated tone. You said you're here against your will. Why is that? Who's keeping you here? Melinda didn't answer. By now, my curiosity was dictating my thoughts, and I was eager to obtain as much information from her as possible. How did you even end up in this place? I quickly asked. As the trail's incline got steeper and steeper, Melinda looked like she was overly focused on her footing, her tensing posture indicating that she was hesitant to answer my question. I moved out here to the city after I cut ties with my family, to make a long story short. Nobody knew I was out here, and I wound up being in the wrong place at the wrong time one night. Melinda's voice faded. Well, where does your family live? I asked. Maybe I can let them know you're here, like the old man wants me to do with his cousin. They're dealing with enough as it is, Melinda said, shaking her head. It won't make a difference if they know or not. Just forget it. Before I was about to respond, I noticed a man standing about five to ten yards away who looked like he was waiting for us. There was something familiar about him. I couldn't quite pinpoint. He had short, buzzed black hair, blue eyes, and a thin layer of stubble that covered his chin and jawline. He wore a ragged maroon short sleeve shirt with blue jeans and matching jean jackets and had his hand in his pockets. His eyes widened and an enthusiastic smile came across his face, containing the same look of hope as the old man's. As the man started walking towards us, Melinda slowed her pace and stopped when she was next to me. Kovic, Melinda said quietly to me. My family's last name is Kovic. They own a restaurant with our name in Massachusetts. She didn't give me a chance to respond as she ushered me towards the man. I reluctantly stepped forward and was about to turn and shoot one last glance at Melinda when the man began speaking. You don't recognize me, do you, Neil? He said, withdrawing one of his hands from his pockets and extending it to shake mine. Saying nothing at first, I tensely grabbed the man's hand that gave me a firm shake. I noticed how cold and clammy his hand felt. It's me. Frank. I squinted at him in bewilderment. After a second or two of silence, the man chuckled. What he said next numbed me from head to toe. Franco, Marianne's brother. His actual name was Frank. I quickly remembered as I stared at him, still holding on to his noticeably cold and clammy hand. Franco was just a nickname. My jaw dropped and I tried to utter a response but was not able to at first. 
I know you're leaving soon, but I want you to let Marianne know I'm here. But more importantly, please let her know that what happened to me wasn't her fault. A tear streamed down Franco's cheek. Tell her to lift the loose floorboard in my old bedroom in front of the closet. That night, she thought I stole her sapphire necklace. Which, I technically did, but only because I was going to get the stone fixed for her because it got chipped. It was her favorite necklace and I wanted to surprise her with it for her birthday. I shook my head to indicate that I would honor his request, recalling how Marianne mentioned that necklace in question a few times over the years. Why don't you just come with me? I asked, pretty certain I would get the same answer I received from Melinda. Frank's expression quickly became dreary and somber as he slowly hung his head. I can't leave with you. Not right now. Franco kicked an invisible pebble before he looked back up at me. You need to tell Melinda and my family that I'm here. I couldn't be identified when I was first found, so they sent me here. I'm in section 19, row 7, marker 5, number M-0673. My family will need to know that information when they come to take me away from here. What does that mean? I don't get it. What is this place? I asked in a somewhat aggravated tone, trying to maintain my composure, despite being frustrated with the vague cryptic responses I was getting about this island. Franco didn't say anything. He started walking towards the edge of the ridge that provided a view to the field on the other side of the island, gesturing with his head for me to follow. I started to, but stopped when Franco froze and sharply turned his head. He sighed deeply as he appeared to glance behind me. A look of sadness and extreme disappointment spread across his face. "'How'd you get all the way up here?' a booming gruff voice asked from behind me before I could ask Franco what was wrong. Upon pivoting, I was met with the sight of a sweaty, portly man in a beige police uniform. He appeared out of breath and was being followed by two more officers. Melinda was nowhere to be seen, and when I turned back, Franco had also disappeared. I was overcome with confusion as I kept looking back and forth between the two spots, unsure what just happened. "'You're Neil Calvert, aren't you?' the officer asked, who was clearly more concerned than suspicious about my doings. I simply nodded, still completely perplexed, as the officer flashed a slight smile and approvingly gestured with his head. "'Well, it's good to see you're alive and well, kid. We've been searching for you. Your family's been worried sick.' The officer took a step forward. "'Can you speak? Do you know where you are right now?' quiet island, I said in a low voice. The officer huffed out a short chuckle. Well, you washed up on the right island. The boat bringing this week's load found your kayak washed up on the island's southwestern tip. We found your footprints on the beach and tracked you here. The officer's remarks only extenuated my confusion and boiling frustration. I was tired of the ambiguity and wanted to know the exact truth about this place once and for all. Look, I'm tired of everyone beating around the bush. I just want to know what this place is and why all of the people here can't even leave. The officer seemed taken aback by my slight outburst, but I could tell he thought I was still disoriented. You've never heard of Quiet Island before? 
You don't know what this place is? The officer asked, to which I shook my head no. Neil, this island is the city's potter's field. Look. Gesturing for me to follow, the officer walked past me towards the edge of the ridge, stopping exactly where Franco stood. Upon coming up alongside the officer, I was greeted to the sight of a large field that stretched dozens of acres. The field was littered with giant squares that comprised of several rows of small stone or metal fixtures, which, when I put it all together, each square must have been a section that was broken down into rows, which were made up of plots, each one probably the resting place for dozens of deceased. M-0673 must have been Franco's casket number. This is what Melinda meant when she said everyone here couldn't leave. These people are alone in the world. They had become lost to their families or didn't have any in the first place. I finally understood why it meant so much for the old man to have me let his cousin know why he was here and why it was so important I spoke with Franco. I intended on letting the families of everyone I spoke to know this is where their lost loved ones were buried. Despite the remarkable revelation, the thought still unsettled me that Melinda, Franco, and the old man were buried out in that field, along with all those others' lost souls, many of whom would probably be less fortunate to leave. It was utterly disturbing to think about Franco buried with dozens of other people. In section 19, row 7, marker 5, number M-0673. <laughs> that, listeners, is the story of Quiet Island. It's kind of heartbreaking, isn't it? But at least Neil was able to get some closure for his girlfriend and for the few new friends that he made. What did you think of today's story? Shoot me an email or a Facebook message. Email me at hauntedhorrorstorian at gmail.com or find me on Facebook under the Haunted Horror Storian podcast. That's all we have for today. But until next time, my lovely ghosts and ghouls, remember to stay spooky. And sometimes it's more than just a story.